Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. When I was growing up, like probably all of us, when I was a kid, I really was excited about Christmas every year. But if you've heard me talk about this before as being the son of a, a minister, uh, there was one aspect of the Christmas season I really did not like at all. It was the children's Christmas program. It's always done on Christmas Eve, and I, I just dreaded it. I mean, as soon as Thanksgiving was done, I began to worry about that program. Because my dad was the pastor, we were volunteered to be part of it every year. We had to learn new songs or, or parts of a little skit or verses we had to memorize or whatever else, and I was always afraid I'd forget the words, which I did often. Uh, in retrospect, it, it shouldn't have been too concerning, though, because there was always a, a Sunday school teacher seated right in the front pew with the answers, you know, with a card even saying, there's your lines, you know. I shouldn't have been afraid, but I was. But I looked past that Christmas Eve service to what would happen afterwards. That's when I began to get kind of excited mostly about Christmas. As soon as the, as the service was done, the children's program all of the children who participated in it were given a large box of candy. I, and I mean, it was a large box of candy. It was surprising how much candy we were given. And the timing was perfect because the Halloween candy had just run out. I'm sure the parents loved that. It's just when the one's gone, the, the new bunch is there. And then when we got home from church that evening, I think it was partly like a reward. Our parents said that uh, we could each open one Christmas present early. And so I just used to look forward to that. Usually, Christmas Eve night, I didn't sleep tremendously well. My three brothers and I would get up the next morning, and as soon as we were all there in our pajamas with our parents, we were able to open our presents. Then we'd eat something my mom had prepared, but the bigger meal was later in the day when we would have a Christmas ham dinner every year. And the place was kind of decorated up. We had the Christmas tree, and we had the little tinsel on it. You remember that? It's probably cancerous, that tinsel that used to hang, like it's disappeared from existence, but it makes me wonder, you know, because it would get on your hands when you were putting it all over those icicles on the trees, you know. Apart from some of these things, though, um, despite the fact that I was raised the son of a minister, we didn't have a lot of traditions related to Christmas that maybe some of you had. I think there's some things related to Christmas that maybe I missed out on just a little bit, and one of them is this idea of a season of Advent, where you prepare yourself to meet with Jesus on Christmas Day. We didn't, I didn't have a season of Advent. I mean, we celebrated Christmas. For those of you that are familiar with the season of Advent, it, it usually involves, and it varies on your faith tradition, but it usually involves four Sundays where you focus on one thing leading up to the birth of Christ. It's something that usually involves lighting candles. In most cases, there were four purple candles, and you'd light one a week. 
And then on Christmas Day, you lit a white candle symbolizing the birth of Jesus Christ. All of it was intended, though, to kind of prepare you. You know, Advent, the Advent, the word, comes from a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And the season of Advent actually, in the different faith traditions, represents both Jesus' first coming and his second coming. In fact, the focus the first couple weeks is usually on the, the second coming of Christ because we recognize that, that Jesus came once as a baby and as a savior, but he's coming again. And this time he's going to come as a king. But four words were emphasized during these four works, uh, weeks of Advent. Those words were, and again, this varies on your tradition, but they were hope. Number two was faith, or some traditions have love there. Number three was joy, and number four was peace. And so I thought that this week and the next few, I want to focus on those four words as we prepare for Advent. I also want to tie it to some Christmas carols that are famous to us and some verses that tie them all together. <clears throat> Our word for today is hope. And I want to begin by asking the question, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hopeful are you these days? I mean, how, how hope-filled do you feel? Uh, my assessment, if I were you know, just ask the average person, I think most people would say that they're not real hopeful. I mean, there's just a lot in our world right now. We're still dealing with this COVID stuff that keeps changing just when you think you almost got it, and then it changes into something else and raises a host of new questions. There's a certain maybe hopelessness related to just even where our world is headed and where our country is headed. You know, you could look around and say things are kind of a mess. Some of you might have a certain hopelessness when it comes to your finances or maybe your health or whatever. And yet this is supposed to be like a season of hope. We feel this hopelessness. As Christians, though, as Christians, we should never lose hope. As Christians, we have Jesus who is the hope of the world based on his first advent and based on his second advent my takeaway today is put your hope in Christ who's the light in the darkness because that's really what hope is about. When you're in the midst of the darkness, you need the light. And Jesus is that light in the darkness. And we have this expectation of what God is going to do because of Christ. The word hope, by the way, when it appears in the Bible, usually does not mean what you think of when you think of hope. Like most of the time when we think of the word hope, we think, I hope so. You know, it's something that's uncertain. Most of the time when we say, you know, I hope I get this for Christmas, it's uncertain. But the biblical use of the term is different. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about an expectation that we hold on to that, that gives us the ability to persevere through things. Christ is our hope. I'm not just hoping. He is. He is. He's our expectation. And it starts when we put our faith in Christ. It starts with that first advent when Jesus came and took on flesh and blood so that he could live among us a sinless life so that he could die in our place for our sins so we could have the hope of eternal life. Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He said, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers concerning those who are asleep, and that's a reference to those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Paul is acknowledging that there's some people when they get to the funeral, 
there's no hope there because they don't know Jesus. They don't have Christ, but we do. I've been to a lot of funerals. And what I do, I go to more funerals than most. And I've been to a couple where the word that I would use to describe the, the entire scene was despair. Some don't know I have hope, but we do. Because of his first coming, we have the hope of eternal life. If you put your trust in Christ, you will go to heaven. You'll get a glorified body just like Jesus had it if the risen Lord Jesus Christ is the object of your trust. But our hope doesn't stop there. We have hope in this life in terms of the presence of Christ, and then we have a hope in the future, another advent where Jesus Christ is coming to reign. Now, the song that I'd like for us to focus on today, the, the Christmas carol, is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because I began asking the question, you know, how hopeful are you? You know, scale one to 10, how hopeful are you feeling? But I want us to understand that when Jesus was born into the world, it was really hopeless. I don't want to minimize the hopelessness you may be feeling, but we'll see in a minute here when Jesus, what Jesus came into was a really hopeless situation. And when you sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's, it's actually in a minor key. You know, you'd think it'd be filled with joy, but it's, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom, captive, Israel. And you realize what it's really about is a prayer, a longing for Jesus to come into the hopeless situation, which is exactly what it was like when Jesus was born. It's a cry for us to put our hope in Christ who is light in the darkness. Now, what was it like when Jesus was born in the world? Well, first of all, there was what I would call a spiritual drought. I don't know if you've ever tried to, to pray and you found that you couldn't, the prayer just didn't feel like it went anywhere, like a dryness. I, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I've had several occasions like that. Actually, the first time in my life it happened when I was at Bible college, ironically. You know, here in my Bible college, studying Bible and studying about God, but I got this place of spiritual dryness. And it's like, where are you, God? I prayed. It literally felt like the prayers were hitting the ceiling. Now, at a certain point, that changed. Actually, in the middle of the song, How Great Thou Art, I sang it in faith, and something changed. But this spiritual drought is a bad place to be. The people of Israel, before Jesus came, they had not had any scripture written for 400 years. The Old Testament ended 400 years before Jesus was born. For 400 years, I don't see any major prophets or anybody speaking to the people of Israel. It was just a dry spiritual time, hundreds of years. Where are you, God? And of course, this is what Jesus came into. They were so hungry and thirsty at that point for God. They were ready for him, but it had been like 400 years. In addition to that, in terms of the spiritual climate, a few groups stepped in and sucked the life out of any joy that could have been in, in, in the, the Jewish faith. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes with all of their oppressive and endless rules who were only interested in power and authority. See, they, they, they entered that void, that spiritual void, and they led people in a dark direction. Jesus was, of course, the strongest with that group. On, on a few occasions, Jesus looked at these religious leaders, these Pharisees. He looked right at them and he said, you're of your father, the devil. I mean, can you imagine saying that to a, 
Well, don't say it to me, please. But can you imagine saying that to religiously? Like, you're, you're, you, know what, you know what you're like? You're like your dad, Satan. That's what, that's what Jesus said about them. That's, that, was the, that was the spiritual climate in which they were brought in. It was horrible, dry, and rules and regulations. And then, politically, it was a problem. Politically, there was oppression. They suffered under the oppressive rule of Rome with all of its cruelty. And the king that was in charge of the area in which the Jewish people lived was Herod the Great, who wasn't very great. I mean, he did some great things in terms of building stuff, but he was a wicked tyrant, a godless man. Put, he'd give Herod a run for his money in terms of the kind of guy he was. First century historian, Jewish historian Josephus wrote, Herod had three of his own sons killed, and when he was himself near death, he left orders that one member of each family, and he was talking about prominent families here, but one member of each family should be executed on his death so that the whole nation would really be in mourning. Can you imagine? Here's a guy that knows nobody's going to cry when he dies. Everybody, they're going to celebrate. Nobody's going to cry for him. So what does he do? He says, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to kill people in all these households, and then there'll be tears. Somebody better be crying after I die. That's the kind of guy he was. Of course, this was the guy that went to Bethlehem and looked for all the baby boys and had them killed. We may not like our political climate at times. It wasn't this bad, though. I'm just saying, it wasn't quite this bad. Spiritual drought, political oppression, and then there was a societal degeneracy. It's no secret that the, <clears throat> the Romans were known for their gross immorality, and that finally led to their collapse. And by the way, I think we're on the same road. But it wasn't just the Romans. According to BibleHub.com, around the time of the birth of Christ, even the Jews, they say, had sunk into a state of grossest degeneracy. Do you realize that at the time that Jesus came into the world, people only lived to be 40? It was their life expectancy. This was the world. And it was into this spiritual, political, societal hopelessness that Jesus was born. Suddenly in the midst of it, Emmanuel, God is with us. Now Isaiah said it would be like this. In Isaiah chapter 9, which we're going to look at here in a minute, he described what the world would be like when Jesus entered into the world. And by the way, God has given us a real good picture of what things are going to be like at the second advent. In the New Testament, you know, difficult times are going to come. People are going to be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. They're going to be blasphemers. It's going to go on and on. Godlessness will reign before Jesus comes back again. But it was similar in the first coming. I'd like to read Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 1. What I want you to notice is some of the dark words that are used to describe the conditions. He wrote, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land. And again, he's writing 700 years ahead of time, and he's describing the world Jesus would be born into. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, let me stop for a moment and explain that. Zebulun and Naphtali are two family lines of Israel, but what was significant about them is that they were 
the worst treated of the tribes of Israel when the Assyrians came in and, and exiled them all. They got the worst of it, these two groups. Now what's significant that Isaiah is going to say it's, is that Jesus is going to do his ministry primarily to that, those two in Galilee. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. It won't be quite that bad as when the Assyrians came in. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. In the midst of the gloom and the distress and the humiliation that they were experiencing, someone was going to come and do ministry primarily in the area of Galilee. That's why all the disciples except one were Galilean. The only one that wasn't was Judas. The rest were all from Galilee. Because this is where God said the ministry, the light would shine the brightest. But let's continue reading. Because you get both the good and the bad. He says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness, that was what I described earlier, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. Now we see what God is going to do, the wonderful thing he's going to do. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke, that's what it was like, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian, which was a major Old Testament battle. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for fire. Now you say, what on earth is all of this talking about? Well, it's talking about mostly the second advent. It's talking about what's going to happen in the future, although it started already. It's talking about the fact that within this context of oppression and war and darkness and gloom and and the staff of the oppressor, in the midst of all of this, something's going to happen. Four things are going to be introduced into this world through Jesus. The first was going to be light. It says people in darkness have seen a great light. And if you know Jesus Christ, you have the light of the world. You see, he is the light of the world, the light in the midst of the darkness, regardless of what you're going through. People in darkness have seen a great light in Jesus. Second, joy. It says the joy that they would experience would be like at harvest time, or it would be like when the soldiers came back in battle and and divvied up all the goods that they had taken from the enemy. Those were two big occasions for rejoicing in Israel. When it was time for the harvest, it was like a big party. But when the soldiers came back and they had all, the, all this stuff that they'd gotten from their enemies, gold and silver and treasures, everyone would be celebrating. It'd be like Christmas. And Isaiah was saying in the midst of this darkness, suddenly this joy is going to be brought into it and then this light is going to be brought into it. And then he talks about freedom, shattering of the oppressive yoke, breaking the rod of servitude to Rome. That was going to happen. And and this is partially fulfilled. It's not completely fulfilled. I still am amazed, though, that there is a nation of Israel right now. It's, It's impossible except by God. I'm just telling you, it couldn't happen. There was no nation of Israel for about 1,900 years. They had ceased to be. They went the way of the Babylonians. You know any modern day Babylonians walking around? Israel, it's been revived. 
and they're free. It's the beginning. And God promised that through Isaiah. And then peace, it says the garments of war will finally be discarded and burned, which is going to happen in the future. There are prophecies about this, that when Jesus comes back, the implements of war will be burned in a big fire. Fires everywhere, but burning them all because there'll no longer be any war. That's the second advent, and we're working or waiting for that. We're looking for that. Light, joy, freedom, peace. This is why we can have hope. And it's all possible because what Isaiah says next that speaks of the first advent. He says, for a child will be born for us. That's an odd solution to the problem. A child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The God who is faithful to send his son into this world to be our savior and predicted he would do it right here is the one who's saying he's coming again. He will reign forever and ever and ever and his kingdom will be righteous and there'll be justice and it'll be all good and it'll all be right. It's coming. And it's amazing that Isaiah wrote about all this 700 years before Jesus was even born into this world. And this baby that would be born would not be an ordinary boy. And this is where the people in Jesus' day just didn't get it right. They didn't understand that. He, he was going to be God in the flesh. I mean, the, these descriptions of who this would be. He would be named Wonderful Counselor. That's what we need right now. We need a counselor, someone to encourage me, someone to console me, someone to comfort me. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's going to be mighty God. It calls him mighty God. This is the Old Testament. Because Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son, and because He's God, He's able to help. That's why He's our hope. He's called an eternal Father. He gives us eternal life, but He's also a Father to the fatherless. I love that description in the Old Testament, by the way. It's one of the descriptions of God. He's called a Father to the fatherless. It's the heartbeat of God. It's, by the way, why we want to focus on this foster West Virginia because God's heart pours out toward those that are fatherless, but he wants to be a father to you and to me as well. And then he's called the Prince of Peace. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer, supplication, let your request be made known to God and his peace will guard your heart and your mind because ours is the Prince of Peace and he's gonna reign forever and ever. One day he's gonna make everything right. In the meantime, though, our hope is in him in the dark times. Now, the Christmas carol, <clears throat> O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, again, is one of my favorites, and it's kind of a darker, minor song, but it speaks about the hope in the midst of the darkness that's there. Uh, we don't know, according to my research, who the original author was. Some feel he was a humble monk of some kind, or could have even been a nun. What we do know is in the early 19th century, in other words, the early 1800s, an Anglican priest by the name of John Mason Neal was reading this ancient book of poetry and hymns, and he came across this one. It's like no one had ever heard of it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And he came across this with the accompaniment. Now, it was in Latin, 
But my research indicates this guy knew 20 languages. So he translated it from Latin into English, keeping the same tune, and he played it, sang it for the people he was ministering to, which were in his days some of the lowest in the society or viewed, looked down upon. Helpless, the most helpless, maybe would be a better way to put it. See, this guy lived off of the coast of Africa and he established an orphanage for children who didn't have parents. He established a school for girls and he formed a ministry to reclaim prostitutes, to give them positive things to engage their lives in. These were the people that he was working with. He was serving the neediest of the neediest and this was the group that heard it first in the English language and eventually it spread because this is the message they needed to hear, hope in the midst of a dark time, a difficult time. You see, I don't think again we experience hope until we understand sometimes the hopelessness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. And of course, that something is Christ. Put your hope in Christ, who is the light in the darkness. You see, we can put our hope in lots of things in this world, but it'll, it'll let us down. We can put our hope in a cure for COVID. You can put your hope in your retirement account. You could put your hope in a, a country or whatever else we could put our hope in, but all those things will rise and fall. But there's one thing that is steadfast, Christ. And we hold on to him in this life, but we're looking forward to the next. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.13, he said, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again at the advent of Christ, the hope you're going to get, the grace you're going to experience. Now, sometimes we sing these words, and we're going to sing together here in a moment. But sometimes we don't pay attention to the words. So let me read some of the words to the song. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thy, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. O come, O come thou Lord of might. Woe to thy tribes on Sinai's height. In ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. And then all of these end with rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.